All right, has everyone got a sheet? A little bit more, Bob. I'm getting a ring up here. All right. Is there anyone that does not have a sheet? Can y'all hear me in the back? Everybody hear me in the back? Mr. Russell, can hear me in the back? All right, good deal, good deal. All right, open uh, in your Bibles with me to Psalm 86. Psalm 86. We are continuing our journey through the book of Psalms. My name is Wade, I'm the pastor here, and I lead a Bible study every Wednesday night. And we have a great time, and we've been, for over a year now, we've been walking through uh, the book of Psalms and just studying uh, them chapter by chapter, and it's been a great study. And we've made it all the way to Psalm 86, can you believe it? Psalm 86. Uh, just FYI, we will uh, meet next Wednesday, but the Wednesday after that, which is the Wednesday of spring break, the DeSoto County Schools will be on spring break, we will not meet. We will meet next Wednesday, and we'll remind you of that, of course, but I uh, just want you to have a heads up related to that. A lot of things happen on this campus on Wednesday nights. We have preschool ministry and children's ministry and student ministry, and our choir rehearses and gets ready for Sundays, and we have women's ministry uh, classes. We have... Uh, celebrate recovery, step studies going on, and so there are a lot of things that happen on this campus on Wednesday nights. And so we're going to pray in just a moment for all of those ministries that God would bless and have his hand uh, on them. But here in this room, we are just walking through the book of Psalms. Let me pray for us, and then we will get started. Father in heaven, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we are grateful, Lord, for your goodness and grace and mercy and love, and we're grateful, Lord, for... Uh, Lord, this day that you've given us, your word tells us that every day is a gift from you. We are to rejoice and be glad in it. So, Lord, I pray that as we study your word, we would, uh, Lord, come expectantly, expecting you to speak to us. And, uh, Lord, I pray that we would be changed, that we would leave today different than when we walked in. And we'll thank you, Lord, for that grace. We love you, we praise you, and we offer you this prayer in the strong and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, the Psalms are in reality a collection of hymns. They were written to be used in worship uh, among the people of Israel. In their corporate gatherings, they would have these songs to sing. And so the book of Psalms is in reality a hymn book. That's what it is. And uh, it is uh, wonderful because there are some themes that run all the way throughout uh, these, these songs. Uh, in fact, if you were trying to identify maybe one major theme that ties all of these hymns together, I think you can find it in the uh, definition given by Kendall Easley, or the summary. He writes, God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. And so in the Psalms we see people uh, coming to the Lord in, in very different circumstances. We see some psalmists coming and everything is wonderful and it's a mountaintop experience. We see other psalmists or other psalms where they're coming and they are going through a valley, they're going through great difficulty, and yet they are coming to the Lord as well. And so we're reminded by that, that whether you're on a mountaintop or in a valley, God is worthy of your praise and he's worthy of your 
confidence. He's worthy of your trust. And we are reminded of that over and over and over and over again in the book of Psalms. I love this quote from John Piper because he picks up on the fact that these are hymns written to be used in corporate worship. And he writes, The Psalms are songs, they are poems, they are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. And so we love the Psalms because we do identify with all of the different emotions. I mean, you see emotions all across the spectrum uh, that are... Uh, that are experienced here in the writings of the Psalms. And so we love the Psalms because of that. We, we resonate with that connection, that emotional connection that we have. And we've made it to Psalm 86, which is a uh, little bit longer psalm, about 17 verses. And I believe what we have here in Psalm 86 is uh, a, a model prayer life. Th- this, this prayer here can really help to serve as a model for your prayers and my prayers. So I want us just to just to look there in Psalm 86, verse 1. And uh, we're not going to read the entire chapter on the front end. We'll work through the entire chapter as we uh, study this psalm. But I want, I want to just start in verse 1. Look what it says. Incline your ear, Psalm, a prayer of David. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. So wonderful beginning to this psalm. Now, a few things I want to point out before we jump into uh, the different verses in this psalm. Uh, It's important to note that this is the only psalm of David in book three. I've told you before that the 150 chapters in this book of psalms are divided into five different books. We've made it to book number three, and book number three only has one psalm from David, I don't know what that means. It just means that as someone collected the Psalms, uh, this was mainly, this third book was mainly not Davidic. But there is a Davidic Psalm here, and David kind of shows up again, uh, and we have much to learn from him again. And this is also one of the only, uh, one of five Psalms in the book of Psalms that are labeled as a prayer. Notice there at the very beginning, right before verse 1 in small letters, it says, A prayer of David. There's only five psalms that are called prayers specifically. Now, they're all prayers in a sense because they're all worship songs. They can all be used in prayer, but this is specifically labeled as a prayer from God, I mean, from David to uh, God. So it's interesting to note. So this is a prayer. It can serve as a model prayer. I believe that the best way to learn how to pray is by studying the Bible. And looking at some different uh, folks that prayed well. For example, whenever you see Paul praying in his epistles, and you see that often, he's talking directly to the Lord about others, you can learn from that. You can model your uh, prayer life after Paul. Certainly Jesus is a model for prayer, the best model for prayer. We see him 
getting up early in the morning and going away from the crowds and spending time alone with the Father. And he even tells us how to pray in Matthew 6, and we call that prayer the model prayer. It's, a, it's sort of a, a model, a template for us to follow as we pray. And David, of course, is a good model for prayer. He's called a man after God's own heart. He wrote um, uh, a lot of the psalms, a lot of the hymns of worship, and he even wrote specific prayers like Psalm 86. So I believe there are some things in here that we can model our prayer life after. So as we study this prayer, I want us to see two things, two aspects of this psalm, this prayer, that can help us to learn how to pray better. Number one, I want us to see what he asks for, what he asks for. It's very interesting to see what David specifically asked God for. Uh, a couple of things here. Number one, he asked God to do something for him. He asked God to do something for him. Notice there in verse 1, incline your ear, O Lord, answer me. So he's asking God for something. I am poor and needy. Uh, verse 5 or verse 6, give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you for you answer me. So the, the context of this prayer is trouble. In the day of my trouble, I call to you or call upon you. Uh, we know just by le- reading Second uh, Samuel, reading First uh, Chronicles, we learn that David went through a lot of trouble, right? I mean, most of his life was trouble. I mean, it seems like there was always somebody after David. The Philistines were after David or Saul was after David. Uh, even his son Absalom uh, revolted and, and, and led a mutiny against the king, and he was after David. And so much of David's life was lived with trouble and trial. He knew what trouble was all about. So we don't know specifically what situation he's referring to, but he's referring to a time when he is surrounded by enemies. They're hunting him down, and he's in danger, and he's in trouble, and he's calling out to God, asking God to help him. So he's asking God to do something for him, and it gets more specific there in verse 14 where he says, Oh God, Insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life. They do not set you before them, but you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. So David here is specifically praying that God would save him from his enemies. Strengthen me, uh, comfort me, save me, rescue me from my enemies. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may be, may be put to shame. So he's asking God to do something for him. And that's certainly an important aspect of prayer. Don't miss that, that prayer is designed as an avenue for us to come to the Lord and ask Him to do things for us. God wants us to ask. In fact, over in Matthew chapter 7 of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who uh, who, who uh, asks will be uh, answered by God. Then He, sh- he shares a, a, a little... A word picture, a metaphor there at the end of that section in Matthew 7 where he says, uh, which of you being a father, when your son asks for uh, a fish, will give him a snake? Or asks for bread, will give him 
a stone. And the point is, if you're a imperfect father and you want to answer your kids' request, how much more does God, being a perfect father, want to answer his children? That's the, that's the point of that passage. I experienced this a little bit uh, this past week. I was at Kroger. I ran to get some things uh, at the grocery store for Claire and she was at home with the kids, and I was kind of tired. It was later at night, and I'd gotten some things, and, and I was trying to just run in and grab some things and run out, and my phone rang, and it was, it was Claire calling me, but I answered. It wasn't Claire. It was my daughter, Abby Faith, and she told me that she needed nail polish remover, <laughs> and she said, Dad, I don't know if you've left yet, Kroger. She said, but if you haven't, will you turn around and go back? She said, my nails are a mess. Now... I was tired, but you know what I did? I went and got nail polish. I didn't know where to go. I had to call Claire back. Where's nail polish? And she had to direct me to it, and I, or nail polish remover. And I found the nail polish remover. Why? I'm not a perfect dad, but I wanted to bless my daughter. She asked for nail polish remover. I was born to get her some, right? Uh, listen, God is perfect. And, and, and when his kids ask, he, he desires to do what's best for us and to grant us those requests that are best for us. And so don't be ashamed or afraid to go to God and ask Him to do some stuff in your life. Ask Him for things that you need and ask Him for things that, you, that you, even you want. And trust Him to do what's best in answering those requests. And so he asked God to do something for him. Hey, James said, you have not because you ask not. Now, theologians debate how prayer works and you know the interaction between humanity and God and asking and God granting and answering. Uh, but here's what that verse tells me in James. There are some things that, that don't come to pass because we don't pray about them. We don't ask for them, right? Things that just don't happen because we're not praying or asking. Uh, I love the quote from Adrian Rogers. I hear this all the time. It was life-changing for me when Adrian Rogers said, the devil cannot stop God from answering, so he wants to stop you from asking. Think about that. And so... David models prayer here by asking God to do something for him. Secondly, this is, this is where it gets really interesting. He asked God to do something in him. Not just for him, but in him. Sometimes our prayer life can consist of God, do this for me, help me here, do this for me, grant me this, give me that. But we stop there and, and we don't ask God to do something in us. We want God to maybe put something in our hands, but we're not really interested in God working on our heart. Now, I think it's fascinating how David here not only asks for God to do something for him, he wants God to do something in him. What does God, or what does David ask God to do in him? First of all, he desired joy. Look what it says in verse 4. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. And so David here is surrounded by difficult circumstances. And you know as well as I do that difficult circumstances can steal your joy, right? Steal your joy. And instead of joy, you have anxiety, you have worry, you have fear. Uh, you know, you're despondent, you're down, you're downcast, you're distressed, you're depressed. You know what life can do to you. And David here is saying, in the midst of my difficulty, I want to bring these requests to you, and I need you to help me and, and rescue me. But in the midst of all of this, Lord, would you do something in me? Would you give me gladness? Would you grant me joy in the middle of my 
circumstances, he desired joy. And by the way, let me tell you a great way you can be a witness in your family, in your workplace, in your community, in your school. Listen, you can be a great witness by exhibiting joy in the midst of every circumstance. Because that's not natural. Right? It's not natural for someone going through difficulty to be joyful. It's not natural. It's supernatural. Only God can do that. And so ask God, hey, no matter what I'm going through, God, would you give me joy? Joy that I know you. Joy that my life is in your hands. Joy that it's ultimately going to turn out all right. Would you give me that joy? So David wants God to gladden his soul. I like that phrase. Gladden his soul. Soul. Sometimes you see people show up to church on a, on a Sunday morning, and you're like, boy, they need some soul gladdening. <laughs> really do. So he desired joy. Secondly, he desired a renewed mind. A renewed mind. Look what it says there in verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Isn't that interesting? Lord, not only do I want you to do something for me, I want you to do something in me. And in the midst of all of this, that I'm going through, I I want you to teach me some things. I want you to teach me your truth. I want to come out of this trouble with a renewed mind. I want to learn some things from this. And so he's asking God in the midst of trouble to teach him his way. He wants to walk in truth. He wants to walk in God's truth. And so where's God's truth found? God's truth is found in the Word, right? And as we walk through difficulty, we want God to take his word and teach it to us and apply it to our lives so that we can have minds that are renewed. You know, Romans 12 indicates that, verses 1 and 2, indicates that you've got a choice when it comes to your mind. You can either be conformed to this world or transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's your option. So David's saying, as I go through this, situation i don't want to i don't want my thinking to be worldly i don't want to be conformed to this world i want you to teach me your way i want to look at life through through lenses of truth i want to bring a biblical worldview to bear on my life and even on this specific situation when's the last time you asked god to do something in you when's the last time you asked god to renew your mind lord Help me to be aligned with your truth. Not just help me to get out of this mess, but, but teach me through this. Maybe that's why James says in chapter 1, Count it all joy, brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance, character, right? So even if you're going through difficulty, you say, God, teach me some things through this. Not just end it, but teach me in the midst of it. And so he asked for a renewed mind. Third, he desires a united heart. A united heart. Look what it says there in verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. David here saying that, I want all of my heart to be united under the banner of your lordship. I want to be 
wholehearted in my devotion for you. I don't want you to have just have part of my heart. I want you to have all of my heart. And I shared this recently in a sermon that what we like to do in our Christianity is we like to compartmentalize our lives, don't we? Lord, you can have this part of my life, but not this over here. And what David's saying is, I want you to have every area of my life, everything that is mine, my heart, I want it all to be yours. So, so instead of having a divided heart, partly yours and partly the, the world, I want to have a united heart. I want it all to be yours. And I want to serve you with, with wholehearted devotion, not half-hearted devotion. We don't accept half-hearted devotion in anything else in our society. Why would we accept half-hearted Christianity? Right? And so, he prays for God to do that in him. Give me a whole heart. Give me a united heart. And then fourth, he desired a preeminent purpose. Look what it says in verse 12. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. David's saying, that's what I want to be about. In trouble, in trials, in valleys, on mountaintops, I want to glorify your name. I, I, I want my life to be a like an arrow pointing to you. That's what he's saying there. I want that to be my purpose. I want that to be what I'm all about. I want that to be my preeminent purpose for living. What about you? What is your purpose? What is your purpose in living this life? If your purpose is anything other than glorifying God ultimately, then your purpose is not a biblical purpose. Right? I mean, there there are sub-purposes. I want to, you know, I want to provide for my family and I want to uh, I want to be a positive contributing member of society and I want to serve faithfully in my local church and and uh, I want to grow into a a better person, and you know those are all important things, but but all of those should be under the preeminent purpose of glorifying God. I want to be a better husband. Why do you want to be a better husband? To glorify God. I want to be a better dad. Why? So I can glorify God. I want to be a better church member. Why? So I can glorify God with my life. So my life will be an arrow pointing people to Him. See how that works? Is your preeminent purpose the glory of God? David's saying, that's what I want. I want to glorify your name forever. So, here's a model prayer life. Notice what he asked for. He asked God to do something for him. Don't forget to ask God for things. He wants us to. He invites us to. But he also asked God to do something in him. When's the last time you asked God to do something in you? To work on your character, not just to address your circumstances. There's a big difference there, isn't there? Huge difference. And David models praying for character development. So notice what he asks for. But secondly, notice how he asks. I think there's some things to learn concerning how David asks God to meet these needs in his life. David prays, and you can you can feel it through the entire psalm. David prays with great expectation. He says, Incline your ear, verse 1, O Lord, answer me, for I am poor and needy. He, he says there in verse 6, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There's none like you among the gods, O Lord. He's saying, God, I, I, I'm expecting you to answer. I, I believe that when I ask, you will answer my requests. And so, 
he's praying with great expectation. And I believe there are five words that, that you can get from this psalm that arise out of this psalm that help us to understand how we can pray expectant prayers. Five words for expectant prayers. Do you, do you feel like when you pray, you're praying expectantly, that you, that you expect God to move, you expect God to work, you expect God to answer? How can we pray expectant prayers, all right? Five words that will help you to do that. And again, we're modeling our prayers after David. Number one, desperation. Desperation. He starts in verse 1. Incline your ear, O Lord, answer me, for I am poor and needy. He just comes right out and says it. I don't have the answers. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the strength. I am poor and needy. And that desperation is driving his prayer. I like what Paul Miller writes in his wonderful book on prayer. He says, listen to this. If we think we can do life on our own, we will not take prayer seriously. Wow. Read it again. If we think we can do life on our own, we will not take prayer seriously. Christians that do not take prayer seriously basically are self-sufficient. Self-sufficiency is expressed through prayerlessness. And desperation is expressed through fervent, expectant prayer. God, I need you. I am poor and needy. I am afflicted and needy. And maybe, now let me just throw this out here for you. Maybe that's why God allows difficult circumstances. Because as long as we're rocking along and everything's going okay and we're kind of managing life on our own, we're not desperate. And when we're not desperate, we aren't praying, right? Sometimes God will allow something in our lives to get our attention and say, Hey, remember me? Remember how much you need me? And it's like a cue. Oh, I need to pray. I mean, you may find yourself rocking along and all of a sudden, you know, the wheels come off. And all of a sudden, what? You are, man, you're on your knees, right? You've been on your knees in a long time, but you're on your knees. God will use those Desperate times to drive expectant prayer. And so desperation is the first word for expectant prayer. Number two, second word is devotion. Look in verse two. Preserve my life for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. So as he's praying, he's saying, Lord, I'm praying from, from a place of service and devotion to you. I'm godly is what he's saying there. If you compare my life to those who are against me, I'm really trying to live for you. That's what he's saying. I am godly. I trust in you. You are my God. Save your servant. And so David is saying here, I'm not praying as a as a rebel. I'm not expecting you to just come to the rescue of a of 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 my life when I'm acting like a knucklehead. That's not that's what he's saying. He's saying I I am I, I'm really trying to live for you. I I am godly. That's what he's saying. I'm devoted to you. The word godly could be translated loyal man. So he, he's in effect saying I'm devoted to your will and your ways. 
Now, this reminds us of Psalm 66. Hold your place. Return to Psalm 66. I want to show you a very important verse about prayer. Psalm 66, verse 18. Notice what the psalmist here says. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. In other words, the psalmist here is saying, I, I called out to God, he answered. But if I had been harboring wickedness, rebelling against him, running from him, I, I would never have expected him to come to my rescue. That's what he's saying. Now, now let me illustrate this, um, uh, what he means by this, uh, because I think it's very, very important for our prayer lives. Um, if you're asking your children to, uh, let's just, I'll use my example. Let's just ask one of my, my kids to clean their room. Go clean your room, all right? And they totally blew me off and just ignored me and didn't do a thing. They even made it messier. And they come to me a little bit later, and I've, I've walked by and I've noticed the room is messy, it's dirty, they haven't cleaned the room at all. They come to me a little bit later and say, hey, Dad, can I have 20 bucks? Now, what's my response going to be? Uh, you ignore me when I say clean your room. Now you're coming to me for 20 bucks. Why don't you clean your room like I told you to, then come back and we'll talk about the 20 bucks. See how that works? That's just how parents operate, right? Grand, well, some of you grandparents, you'll just give the 20 bucks. But, but that's, a, that's a different deal. My, my dad gives more money to my kids for their grades than he ever gave to me. He told me he expected it. I said, like, where's my money? But anyway, um, but you, you get the point there. That if your kids are blowing you off, you're not going to bless them with requests answered. And a lot of times when we're rebelling against God and we come and pray, it's like, why don't you go take care of the things I told you to take care of? Why don't you go be obedient in your life? Then come back and let's talk, right? Clean your room up. Clean your heart up and then come back and come and, and come and pray. Then we'll talk about me answering your request. See how that works? That doesn't mean that we have to be at this state of sinless perfection to come and ask God for things, but it does mean that we're trying to serve Him. All right? If there's, if there's known sin in our life, we repent of it and say, God, I don't want it in my life anymore. I'm coming to you for help, right? It means that we're not ignoring God and just blowing him off and running from him and rebelling. We're, we're trying to serve him. Not perfect, but we're really trying to make a difference and serve him. Then we come as a, a, a child with a united heart and say, God, could you help me here? If we cherish iniquity in our heart, don't expect God to answer us. That's what the psalmist is, is saying. So... The first word is desperation. The second word is the word devotion. The third word is the word persistence. Look back with me in Psalm 86, verse 3. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry. Now look at this next phrase. All the day. This is not just some one-time prayer. David is, is expectant and he asks and keeps on asking, anticipating God to move. But he prays with persistence. I cry to you all day long. And Jesus taught us, when he taught on prayer, that we ought to pray with persistence. I want to show you this. Turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. 
Luke chapter 18, verse 1. The Bible says, He, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So this parable is meant to encourage persistent prayer. Have you ever prayed for something and you don't see it answered or come to pass you want to just give up? You want to just throw in the towel and you lose heart and like, well, this is maybe, maybe God's not interested or this is, you know, God doesn't care or this is maybe too much to ask or so I'm just going to quit praying. And, and, and Jesus shares this parable for the express purpose of encouraging us to keep praying even when we want to stop. Persistence. So look what it says there. In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him, watch this, day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? In other words, when Jesus comes back, will he find the kind of faith that prays and keeps praying, that prays persistently without giving up, even though they don't see immediate answers to their requests? Because it takes faith to keep on keeping on, right? It takes faith not to throw in the towel on prayer. So he's saying here, if an unrighteous judge will give in to the persistent um, uh, inquiries of a widow, how much more will the perfect God of the universe respond to the persistence of his children? You see, persistence in prayer, this is important, demonstrates the intensity of our faith. In other words... How bad, now look at me for a moment, this is important. When you're praying, how bad do you really want God to answer that prayer? How serious are you about it? If you pray one time and that's it, you might not have been that serious about it, right? It might not have been that big of a deal. But if it's really important to you and there's an intensity of faith that believes God can and will answer that prayer, and, and, you, and you're desperate to see God move, then you'll pray and you'll keep on praying, even though you don't see with your physical eyes an immediate response from God. It demonstrates the intensity of your faith. It, it demonstrates how serious you really are about something. I, and again, back to relationship with my, my kids. There have been times my kids have asked me for something, and uh, I thought, oh, they're not, they don't really care about that. But when they come back and ask again and maybe again, I say, this is something they really care about, something they're really interested in, right? And I, I kind of take notice. And, and, and sometimes the Lord may delay in answering our prayers because he wants to see where our faith is. Do we really want God to answer? Do, do we really care about this thing? Are we really desperate? Do we really want God to move and need God to move? Or are we just, you know, kind of throwing it out there and then giving up? All right? And so... Persistence is uh, a word for expectant prayer. I love this quote from the great E.M. Bounds. He wrote a lot of things on prayer. He was a 19th century 
Methodist pastor, he writes, There can be no question but that importunate prayer, by the way, importunate means persistence, an old, older word for persistence. There can be no question that importunate prayer moves God and heightens human character. So God responds to persistent prayer, and as we pray and keep praying, it builds our character and our faith. And so we need to pray persistent prayers. There's another word back in Psalm 86 that drives expectant prayer. It is the word dependence. The word dependence. Notice what he says in verse 4 of Psalm 86. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. So he's saying, who am I coming to for help? I'm coming to you, Lord. For it's to you that I lift up my soul. By the way, the, the lifting of the soul is, uh, is synonymous with trusting God. To you, O Lord, I trust. I, I, I trust you. I, I have dependence upon you. I'm coming to you. I'm not going to anybody else. I'm coming to you. Dependence. And I believe that healthy prayer lives are built upon dependence, uh, a recognition that we need God, right? Jesus said over in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. When you, if you really believe that, if you really believe that you're dependent upon God for everything, it will heighten and strengthen and drive a, an expectant prayer life. Are you dependent upon the Lord? Which leads to the, the final aspect of expectant prayer. Desperation, David models that. Devotion, David models that. Persistence, David models that. Dependence, he models that. But, but last, confidence. And this is so important. I want to just kind of camp here for a moment because it is important that we pray with confidence. Look what it says in verse 7. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. I call upon you because I believe you will answer. I, I believe in answered prayer. So let me ask you a question. When you pray, do you pray with confidence that you believe that God answers prayer? Let me give you two, two areas of confidence you need to have to to pray with that kind of assurance. First of all, confidence in God's power. Look what he says in verse 10. For you are great and do wondrous things. For you alone are God. You are great and do wondrous things. So as, as David is praying, David understands, I'm not praying or asking for anything that's too big for God. Right? Nothing. Whatever I'm asking for, God can do it. Why? He's great and does wondrous things. Over in Psalm 67, the Bible says that all power belongs to God. He's, theologians call him omnipotent. All power. It's not like God is growing in power or striving for power. Uh, the word omnipotent means he possesses power. It's just who he is. It's inherent in his in his nature, and is an attribute of God. He has all power at his disposal. And here's what prayer does. When we pray, God turns his omnipotence and brings it to bear on our lives. That's an awesome thought, isn't it? That God brings his power to bear on your life. 
Wow. If we really believe in the power of God, then we will pray with more confidence. Nothing is impossible with God. And so we need to pray. Listen to me. And this is a, a conviction. And this is something God's teaching me in my own life. We need to pray for big things. Right? We need to pray for God to do some big things in our lives, in the lives of our loved ones, in our church, in our community, in our nation, in our world. We need to pray big, sweeping, grand prayers that believe that God is powerful. Like the old hymn says, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such that none could ever ask too much. When you pray, you are coming to a king. An all-powerful king. You can't ask too much. You can't pray a prayer that's too big for God. It's not possible. And God loves to bring His power to bear in our lives. To work and move in a way that brings him honor and glory. So when we pray, if we want to pray with confidence, remember you are coming to a king. You have confidence in God's, God's power. But secondly, have confidence in God's character. Look what he says in verse 13. For great is your steadfast love toward me. I love that. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Look in verse 15. But you, O Lord, are God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor. I love that. You know what David's saying there? David's saying, Lord, as I pray, not only do I believe that you are all-powerful and can do anything I ask, I believe that you are good and you will move in response to my prayers in a way that is best for me. I believe this is the Old Testament version of what the Bible says over in 1 John 5. That if we ask anything, listen, according to his will, he answers us. In other words, when we pray, we ask based upon our limited perspective and our needs and what's going on in our heart and life. But when we pray, we understand we're putting our, our, our requests, our needs in the hands of an all-powerful, good God. Who can answer and knows the best way to answer, or even if he should answer. With a yes. Right? So if you and I keep in mind that God is all-powerful and God is good, that should drive us to pray big prayers, walking away, trusting. I put it in God's hands. Now he knows what's best to do next. Right? He's good. He's gracious. He's, he loves me with a steadfast love. He's merciful. He's patient. So God, I know you know the best way to answer this prayer. Have you ever asked God to do something and he responds in your life but maybe does it differently than you would have wanted him to do it? You ever been there? You ever seen that happen? Or maybe it's a different timeline than you had in your life. 
You ask, but, but God moves, but it's not on your timeline. And Why? Because God knows best. God knows best. And he loves to respond to the prayers of his people, but he loves to respond to the prayers of his people in a way that is best, in a way that is congruent with his good character, his goodness, his, his perfection, his character. And so we need to trust him. And again, back to, back to illustrations with, with children or grandchildren, we understand that if we said yes to everything our children asked us, right, we'd be eating at McDonald's every night and living in Disney World, okay? That's just not feasible for the long haul. Right? It's just not. It's just that's just not. It's just it's just not going to turn out well after a while. And so, when our kids come and ask maybe for fast food for the second night in a row, we know that's not best for them. And so maybe we meet their need for hunger and sustenance and nourishment, but we meet it in a different way. But it's a way that's best for them. Right? And so, as we pray, we need to understand that we are coming to a king. He is all-powerful. He can absolutely answer any prayer you pray. He's, he, there, there, there's no prayer you can pray that's bigger than God. Amen? And secondly, remember, his character, he's good. He, know, he knows the best way to answer that prayer. The best timing to answer that prayer with. He, he knows whether you need it or not, or whether it's best for you or not. And even Garth Brooks knows that there's some good that comes from unanswered prayer. Amen? Don't act like y'all don't know that song. You know that song. And so we need to pray and trust God. Uh, trust his character as we ask. And so I believe back in Psalm 86, I believe this is a model prayer. I, I believe there are some things David does here that are wonderful that we ought to model our prayer lives after. We We ought to... To, to ask for God to do something for us and do something in us. And, and when we ask, we should pray with great expectation that God will answer. Desperation, devotion, persistence, dependence, and confidence. There's some things we can learn from Psalm 86. So before we close tonight, any questions from this psalm? Any questions about prayer um, that we can talk about tonight or kick around tonight before we close with a prayer. Any questions from this psalm? Psalm 86. Any questions? Or about prayer in general? Any questions you have as we've talked? Good word. Good word, Brother Richard. He said, if you had trouble hearing, he said, uh, he thought of a statement about persistence. Delays are not denials. And if God delays, he delays with a purpose, right? He wants to do something in your life. Something, he wants to work on your faith, perhaps. Or just move at the right timing. Because whether you know it or not, you don't always know it all, right? All right. But Tim.
Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Brother Tim. Uh, what he's saying there is if you're, you're praying for somebody else and you want to see God do a work in their life and, you, and you're praying and you're praying persistently, sometimes even for years, he said, but you don't see them changing or responding, it doesn't mean God's not working, first of all, right? Uh, God may be working in, in, uh, in remarkable ways, but he's right. Uh, they have to respond to what God's doing in their life, right? repentance and faith and and uh and so yeah you're you're praying uh that god would move their heart and god would you know uh use circumstances and put people in their path and and uh you know the truth would come into their life but ultimately um you know you have to you have to uh, understand they've got to respond to what god's doing in their life yeah mm-hmm. amen Eleven-year-old prayer answered a month ago, um, and the reality is, it can be frustrating, right? As you're if you're waiting to see that happen, and and that, I think that's why Jesus shared that parable: don't lose heart, keep on praying, keep on praying. Um, I think about uh, the prodigal son, and you know, a lot of times when you're praying for somebody, you're praying for someone that's you know not being faithful to the Lord, or walking away from the Lord, or running from the Lord, and that's in a prodigal type situation. And uh, I think the the hinge that that chapter swings on is found after the son gets his father's inheritance. He goes into a far land. He wastes everything with wild living. And he's hungry. He has no money for food. And he finds himself wanting to eat the food the pigs ate. He, he felt himself wanting to eat pig slop. And in that moment it says, he came to his senses. And I think a great way to pray for folks that are far from God and you want to see God do a work in their life and, and maybe been praying for them a long time, God, would you, would you bring them to a place in their life that they'll come to their senses? And that can be hard to pray because that could be something that's tough, difficult, but you want them to come to their senses, right, and see their need um, for the Father. Brother Ralph? Yeah, we, one night I used an illustration. You know, we talked about casting our cares upon the Lord. A lot of times we'll 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 give our prayers to the Lord, and then we'll come and take it back out of His hands. Say, well, let me let me work on it for a while, Jesus. And 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 that that's not the kind of prayer David was praying. David put it in God's hands, right, and trusted Him with it. Uh, to you, I lift up my soul, uh, Lord. You got to do something, or I'm I'm sunk. And so a lot of times we like to we like to pray, but then we say, Okay, God, I tried that. Now let me try to fix it, right? Prayer is consistently over and over again, maybe every day, taking a situation and putting it in God's hands and trusting that he's all-powerful and good and knows the best way to meet that, that need. Yeah, good. Good reminder. Any other questions tonight about prayer? Any other questions? Y'all got it all figured out? Amen. Uh, I'm grateful that I have a, a brother, my one my one sibling. He's a... Believer, strong Christian, and uh, loves the Lord, and uh, 
one night, this has been years ago, but one night we were on the phone and we began to talk about prayer. And uh, we talked, uh, we probably talked about prayer for about two hours. I mean, just talking about how it works and how God moves and and uh, it was a remarkable time. I'll never forget it, just talking to my brother about prayer. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, it, you know, what I love about prayer is it's so, um, there's, a, there's a mystery to it, such that we could talk about it for two hours and just be scratching the surface. Um, but there's a simplicity to it. Uh, a child can pray and talk to God, right? It's so simple. A child can talk to the Lord, and we can talk to the Lord. It's just, it's, it's, as, when you boil it all down, prayer is, is talking to God as our loving Heavenly Father. So I love that about prayer. There's a, there's a simplicity, but there's a, a depth to it, and uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful gift uh, that God has given us. And I just remind you that if it weren't for the blood of Jesus, we wouldn't, prayer would be no option for us. Right, Jesus died on the cross and shed His blood so we could come into the presence of a holy God and 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 talk to Him. Right, Jesus had not died on the cross and risen from the dead and saved us and washed away our sins. We could have no access to the Father, but because uh, Jesus died, because we're saved. If, if you are saved, if, if you if you know Jesus, He's forgiven you. Now you can come into God's presence anytime you want to and ask Him for things, and that's a remarkable thing. In fact, over in uh, Hebrews chapter four, it talks about Jesus being our High Priest that made a way for us to come to God. And it says, therefore, let us draw near. Because the veil's been torn in two, and you can draw near, draw near, pray, right? A remarkable, prayer is such a remarkable privilege. It's just amazing that we don't leverage it more and, 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 and pray more than we do. Amen. Any other questions before we pray and close tonight? All right, let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the way that you love us. And Lord, we just come to you in Jesus' name, and we ask, Lord, that you would help us to walk away with these truths on our hearts. Lord, that we would follow the model of David, and that we would, Lord, pattern our prayers uh, after David, asking you to do things for us, asking you to do things in us. And Lord, that we would pray with expectancy, that we would pray with confidence, that we would pray bold big prayers, expecting you to move in our lives and in the lives of others. So would you just do that? And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. We love you tonight and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.